Welcome again to the Southwest Climate Podcast. Mike Crimmins, how are you doing? Zach, it's over. <laughs> it's Please. over. Here's the tagline. At least it was not 2020. I t- I, I'm with you on it. That's what my t-shirt says this morning. It was <laughs> better than 2020 in so many um, different ways. <laughs> and of course, for our longtime listeners, we're talking about the, the monsoon being over. It's in the rearview mirror. Good riddance. Uh, certainly didn't live up to the last two years, nor could it have. We yeah. expected that. Yeah, and I and I guess the saving grace is it wasn't as bad as three years ago in twenty twenty. But it was certainly it was certainly a, a a bleak rainfall picture and a bleak temperature picture as well, which we'll get into. Um, so this is the twenty twenty three monsoon recap edition. Uh, Mike, uh, I was virtually gone what felt like all of September. So I'm doing this kind of naked. So I'm just going to sit now, back. Fi- figure, I, let's just say figuratively, figuratively not literally. I, I've got, okay. you, yeah, you're close. I've got I just want everybody on. to. Yeah, I've got exactly. a shirt on. I've got white tube socks on. <laughs> Boxers. <laughs> Uh, I am in the office, so I am fully closed. Uh, but but metaphorically, I am uh, I'm. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what the heck happened or didn't happen (laughs) in September. And I remember on our last uh, podcast, you know, the, the, the picture was similar in in terms of, you know, way, way behind uh, average uh, across the the Southwest. uh, And we were kind of calling on uh, a tropical storm or recurving tropical storm to sort of change the, the final statistics picture. Of course that wouldn't have changed you know, the, the, the spatial and temporal pattern through the, the, you know, July and August, but, uh, you know, for the history, history books, it would have, it would have moved the, moved the, this season up in the rankings. And so let me, let me just offer a, a, a question since I'm less prepared than you, but did September look normal? Uh, what's normal, Zach? I think we got to get, we got to get deep and philosophical here. Um, yeah, September. Okay. Let me, let me, let me ask a different question. <laughs> let me ask a different, you know, right. you, it's funny from a, from a climatologist perspective who has a reference point is normal to, to answer it, to answer it with what is normal is uh, kind of a funny, um, no, but what, what was unexpected, what was expected, you know, in terms of, uh, September. And then we can also like sort of put that in the, the, the seasonal context as well. So maybe you could start with like, what did the, the sort of atmospheric patterns look like? Was it, you know, were we predominantly under westerly flow that the, the position of the ridge sort of sagged South? Like that's, it, was that all normal? Um, how did the synoptic conditions look? Yeah. So, so <laughs> September was, what is normal, Zach? Like what? <laughs> All right, I can I can get into this. I can get into this. The, um, yeah, you know. So we've talked about this the whole the whole summer, and it's interesting because I think back in May we were even kind of looking at the models, and there's a suggestion that the monsoon ridge. So the, again, that subtropical guy. We talk about this every time, and um, we need to have some good visuals to go with our our discussions. And I think that that's something we're going to work on over over time here is to have some good reference visuals. But that um, mid-level ridge that we call the um, monsoon ridge, in its ideal spot, the center of the ridge is over the four corners, right? And so we, when we when it gets in that spot, we're usually in a, a pretty good spot. It usually kind of moves in in July, hangs out in August, and starts to retreat south again in September. So it's struggled all year. Never quite moved far enough north, never really stuck around, really left us underneath the heat of the ridge being straight overhead instead of north of us. So September, what you expect to see is that ridge start to stag back south. Well, it was never very, never very north anyways. And so um, the month started out with actually some pretty strong fall storm activity uh, hitting the California coast again. So it's like the pattern that we saw last winter, spring, and then tried to yield in the summer really was just hanging out just off to the north. And so it kind of got some energy again. And so we had a strong, cold, low pressure system um, pushing the Northern California. And so that squished the ridge and it 
cause what we call a transition event. And so that's where there's a, a low pressure system off to the west of us. And the high is now kind of either off to the east or off to the southeast of us. And so you can imagine the gears of that flow pattern. It starts to have pretty strong southerly, southwesterly flow. And the interesting thing this year is that there's been a lot of tropical moisture kind of off to the, in the Gulf of California and then in the East Pacific. So that that flow pattern started to draw moisture north. And so that was one of two pretty good rain events for the Southwest in- Those, um, were, those were transition events, right? So, so yeah. but, they're, but those are common in September, right? Exactly, so, yeah, because we're transitioning out of summer pattern and into the fall pattern. Okay, so, I mean, just out of curiosity, like, because those bring rain rainfall. They, they can. They yeah. can, they can. Like, if we think about September's climatology, how, what would you think would be the fraction of the September rainfall that would be generated through these transitions versus, let's say, a more, a more August looking position of the ridge that, um, really helps draw moisture from from the south. I mean, are we thinking yeah, 50, I, yep. 50? I bet it's 90-10. I bet for the I bet transition most, events. Yeah, I bet if you look at the climatology, and again, so this is between it's different between Arizona and New Mexico too. So the September, the whole monsoon pattern, again, that large subtropical ridge, it it's so fleeting. I mean it 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 moves um, north fairly quickly from June to July. It it has a res, you know, it usually hangs out in August, but it can start even retreating in late August, and then is usually retreating back south in September climatologically. So it's it's very rarely in a monsoonal pattern in even the beginning of September. I mean, it's you know maybe it hangs on through the first week climatologically, but then it's already getting kind of beat up because the sun angle has changed so much. It's dropped so much, you're losing all of that heating in the Northern hemisphere. And so that kind of land heating element starts to wane a lot. And if it's been an active monsoon, you've got a lot of water on the ground and you've got a lot of vegetation that's giving off, well, it's basically kind of cooling the land surface in that respect. So it starts to lose some of its um, forcing. So yeah, I, if it does rain in September, it's usually because you're starting to get a fall transition event or you're in a just bomber, very active East Pacific tropical storm season and you're just recurving you know a couple of let, storms up let, let's come to that recurving let's co come to the east pacific season in a minute Trop uh, hurricane season tropical storm season what thinking about september then in terms of the transition events are really quite important for total rainfall like what what then what then would drive the frequency of those uh transition events what, what what's what what could produce a, I mean, so you could, in other words, you could have like a really dry July and August from the monsoon, mm -hmm. but it seems like the transition events are different sort of mechanisms outside of like the monsoon mechanisms. So you yeah. can almost have like an independent, the mechanisms are kind of independent. So what would draw, drive a sort of increased frequency of these uh, transition events? Yeah, it's going to be related to kind of the activity of the mid-latitude jet stream all the way across the, the the northern hemisphere. And so one thing that can happen is if there's really active, we've talked about this in past years, if, if there's really active typhoon activity all the way on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, and those storms are recurving north. So, you know, they're, they're like typhoons, super typhoons that are curving up towards Japan or the, the coast of China, the, the westerlies are still bobbing around, right? And so those storms can actually get um, pulled up into the, the mid-latitude jet. And then do you remember that? They can cause these, these bombs. Yeah, that happened, yep. if, if not last year, two years ago, I remember, and it was really yeah. interesting to see. Yeah, because it can create these enormously energetic kinks in the jet stream. And those kinks in the jet stream can make their way all the way down to the southwest. So you can end up having, you know, a, a pretty strong trough sort of sweep through the southwest. And so that's not uncommon. It doesn't happen every year. It's not the cause of every kind of wave in the jet stream. But the jet stream is starting to um, strengthen 
in the northern hemisphere as, this, as the sun angle goes down and, and it's, we start to get more of a contrast from north to south and it becomes more energetic. And so that's just kind of a normal progression as that high starts to sink south. So the transition events are quite common, but they, but they don't always produce rain. You know, we can have we can have situations where the transition event is a, a pretty sharp push of dry air from the northwest. And then that's just like can almost shut down the monsoon and, and you know, cause it to go away. If it, you know, if it kinks up and the, the low moves slowly and it kind of gets caught up by the high pressure system. So then it can kind of spin, slow down and then draw up moisture. And again, it, there's not always good subtropical moisture off to the south, southeast, you know, in a, in a dry monsoon, maybe it gets shut down. So that that can be not as, you know, fruitful in certain situations. So they don't always quite yield the same thing. We always transition out of the monsoon, but they don't always bring rain events with them. So let's say you have like a favorable and strong position of that subtropical ridge, the four corners high. It's 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 not like it, it it's like it was the last couple of years, let let's say. Yeah. Like that, and then we move into September. Like it's just gonna it's gonna take a longer time for that to sag. So we might get a couple more weeks out of like more favorable uh, monsoon, classic monsoon sort of sort of pattern. But would it also prevent like obstruct? Would it work against these transition vents? So it would like force force the flow further north. So there's a competition going on. Yeah, you're shaking yeah. your head. So that's yeah, I'm shaking my head on a podcast. I'm shaking my head on a podcast. <laughs> well, he's you're, you're you're going up and down, not not left to right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I'm totally agreeing with you. And and yeah, absolutely. So if it if it hangs on, and again, it it doesn't it doesn't have to hang on long. And you know, and like last year too, having um having even kind of a a, a well positioned subtropical ridge and sort of weak flow. That one of the things we had last year too was that in that easterly flow, uh, the whole southwest was was pretty wet, and so we would move. Easterly flow is is useful kind of in that upper levels, but it's still it's interacting with that's supposed to help create Gulf surges, which are the fuel for the storms in Arizona. The easterly flow is helpful to draw in Gulf of Mexico moisture in New Mexico. And in that broader flow pattern, which is ideal in August, you we need it to kind of be wet in New Mexico to help sustain the air mass here in, in Arizona as well, right? So it's, the whole region has got to kind of cooperate. And so it's even when like this year, when we would get the ridge in, in a, a decent position, we would get some easterly flows. New Mexico had a terrible monsoon and it was dry. And so that easterly flow would actually not be part of the big subtropical air mass that the ridge is supposed to bring in and sustain. It would dry us out. And so the whole region is, is kind of, has to have the sort of cooperative effect of sustaining the moisture in August. September, that all kind of sags to the south. And then you're you're either recycling some moisture that's already there, or you're importing it in Arizona from the southwest. In New Mexico, you can have storms come up from the tropics. And depending on where that ridge position, they can get funneled into, uh, into New Mexico and produce precipitation there. We had a couple of instances in, in August. I think we talked about it. Tropical storm Hillary got steered up into the western part of Arizona. Tropical Storm Harold came in off of the, the coast of Texas and actually made it all the way across into southern New Mexico, across central Arizona, and actually produced a decent rain event for northeast Arizona. But again, those are like, you know, you can't count on those. Right. And they're, they're usually additional precip to a base of a monsoon season rather than the sole contribution this year, they, the tropical element was the sole contribution and it didn't even really happen in September as we were kind of expecting. Yeah. So I guess like what I'm taking is that September inherited a bad hand. Um, a bad it did. Hand. That's right. Yep. It was a you bad hand because, yep. And it was kind of what we would, September was kind of what we would expect. Right. But it didn't, but yeah. it's, it's, it's initial conditions that it inherited I guess we we could have predicted, Mike. Did you predict uh, uh, kind of a dry? I mean, basically, I, September needed a a tropical storm. It did, and, and given it's, where it it's, was, right? So the the odds were tilted that it could because of El that Nino. Could. Oh, the tropical. We, we, yeah, that we could, that 
so I think I I think in Monsoon Fantasy, which I just I I don't know if I could have placed lower. I mean, what, there, there's what, do probably you, do you recall what you placed? I didn't even I stopped looking because I was I was in the low I was sorry I was in the high three hundreds and I think only four hundred people played. So I, 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 I finished at two seventy five. Oh, that's, I think you doubled. You may have doubled you know, my spot in the whole thing. We'll, we'll come back to this at the end. Yeah, but, but anyways, I I was I. My my bet was that we'd be below median for all of the the locations because again it's it's not it's funny because this was the year that you could have used some information which was in 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 El Nino um, a forecast for above average East Pacific storm activity that this was the year if you were risky that you could have said okay this could be the year that it it did but it's it's not it's still the the probability is quite low, even in a year where the probability has been shifted slightly higher. And it, and it, yeah, it played out that way. So the basically two events occurred in September. One was that transition event that was still playing with deeper moisture from the tropical storm activity of August. And then the second one was, was a bit shallower. It was just a kind of a weak low pressure system, not monsoonal at all, came across in the middle part of the month and sparked some, you know, decent rain um, right on the 14th and 15th um, for Arizona and New Mexico. But again, it was not very much rainfall. It wasn't a washout. It certainly wasn't a tropical storm that we had seen in past Septembers. And it, and it wasn't it wasn't a tropical storm at all. You know, it was just, again, kind of a fall-like rain event at that point. So, okay, um, I want to come back to the... Uh, East Pack in a minute, but I think, at least in my recollection, another sort of uncharacter and uncharacteristic something that was different this year about the monsoon season. Let me get closer to the microphone. Something that was different this year. It was just, it was just blatantly hot across the entire season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at. You know, you can look at September, um, looking at, uh, you know, station data and, you know, Tucson, for example, in September, the average uh, uh, mean temperature was, you know, the warmest on record. Las Cruces, the warmest on record. Sierra Vista, the warmest on record. I mean, across a number of, of stations, it's top 10 warmest on record. And, you, and you, can, you can look at that July, August and September um, for maximum temperatures, for mean temperatures, and it largely fell within the top 10 across um, most of the monitoring sites. So, you know, the the I guess that's kind of what we would expect from a dry dry season. Like there is a correlation there, um, you know, less, less precipitation, less cloud cover, less uh, evaporative cooling and that sort of thing, but doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't help the situation. No, it was that. That's what stuck out to me. I mean, it it was hot. It was really. I mean, the data don't lie. I mean, like you know, some of the some of the cities in the southwest, it was the warmest on record. You know, in hundred and twenty year records, it was the warmest. You know, September and it was the warmest July, August, September across the region. And it the the record temps did follow largely the areas that saw some of the the highest precipitation anomalies. So New Mexico in particular, July, August, September, much of the state saw its record warmest. It was a little bit more um, patchwork in Arizona. Not not every location in Arizona saw its record hottest, but the, almost all the states saw top 10% warm. The, the cooler spots were the far Western deserts of Arizona and the North West, I'm sorry, north, yeah, northwest part of Arizona, where um, just a handful of days with clouds and tropical storm brought the temps way down, and so they dragged the average down for the month and the season. But yeah, not a lot. You, yeah, and so now I'm looking at um, the number of days with maximum temperatures above 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, so Phoenix had 121 days so far and that is sixth most um with 2020 being the second most at 137 1989 had the most at 139 so you know we're top six for phoenix tucson uh had the fourth most at 85 days 
2020 was had the most at uh, 104. So, yeah. So I think that bears it out. Um, bears it out as, as as well. Anything else on temperature, Mike? No, it was hot. I hated it. <laughs> okay. It was more, what more can you, what more can you say? <laughs> yeah, it was like, it, and it, you know, in September, the days kept getting shorter, but it still, you know, it was like the days would be quite a bit shorter and it would still be 105 out. It was, it kind of just blew your mind of like, wait a minute, what is happening here? Um, okay. So where does this, where does this season rank? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it, you're talking precip wise, cause we know heat wise, it's, it's, let's go, you know, pre- top, let's go precip wise. Yeah. And this is, what's kind of interesting is that um, precip wise, it wasn't the driest on record. I mean, it was driest on record in locations. So Phoenix, it was the driest on record July at or, the airport, think, right? At, at the, the airport. at the airport. Yeah, and it's interesting because it rained around. It did rain in Phoenix. It just didn't rain at the airport. It didn't rain a lot in Phoenix, but well, and also the you know, Tucson airport did better than surrounding areas too. Absolutely, and so that's the weird thing too is that the Tucson, yeah, just like you said, is in in Tucson it did better than some parts of Tucson, and other parts of Tucson did better. So this is like the in a in a monsoon that is overall weak, you know, in the sense that it doesn't have like real strong frequent activity. I think that you tend to get spatial extremes um, pop up, right? Is that you can get areas that do do average to even above average, but they tend to be very isolated. And and if they're not at the airport, the observing stations, then they kind of get, they kind of fall off the record. But um, I crunched some data this morning. So I used the PRISM data set, which we use for a lot of our our analyses and the, the maps that we post online. So it's a gridded product that's available on a monthly basis back to 18, 1895. And for this analysis, I took Arizona and just Western New Mexico. So in the scientific literature, that's kind of the core of the, the, the monsoon region in the United States. It's not the core of the entire North American monsoon, but in the Southwest, Arizona and Western New Mexico. So if you, if you crunch the numbers for that and you look at July, August, September, total precipitation, what's the driest year on record, Zach? I'm going to say 2020. That's right. 2020 was the driest year on record. Um, guess what? 1895. This year was not 2020. <laughs> That's right. And so the data proved that 2023's um, average precipitation ranked ninth driest. So 2020 was the driest. 2023 was the ninth driest. So in that top 10, 1956 was the second driest. Then 1973 at third. 2009 at fourth, 2000 at fifth, 2019 at sixth, um, 1960 at seventh, and 1978 at eighth, and 2023 at ninth. So kind of interesting how you slice and dice it and where you you draw that box can kind of give you this, this interesting portrayal. Holy cow, 2019. I don't remember 2019. That's we, oh my gosh. So if you know the the wayback machine would be go back and listen to our podcast of 2019. I don't nobody should do this, but I think we bitched incessantly about how terrible that season was because we didn't know about 2020 at that point. It was we were pretty grumpy about it. Well, you know what? That probably fueled the even grumpy grumpierness that we experienced uh, in 2020, right? Because it was a- it does because we were looking for this this like it's got to be better next year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm looking the, at yeah. a map now of, of of 2020, and yeah, it's it's dry. I mean, it looks yeah, it looks like this year, quite frankly, with the exception of this year. You can see on the western side of Arizona and and up on uh, northwest Arizona, you can see that expression of Hillary. You know, yeah. you take away Hillary, you take away that tropical storm, like, and it probably looks a lot like 2019. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I just pulled up the data for Tucson for 2019. And I don't know. I mean, okay, so it the Tucson got five inches in 2019, which is actually more than Tucson saw this year. And we had 23 days of rain in 2019. So that would have actually been, I think, a pretty okay. good. Yeah. I mean, that's 23 is kind of average. Yeah. Yeah, 23 is a spot on average. Um, it's a little bit below average uh, that we would have seen 
for the rainbow rain. monsoon. So yeah. I wonder how grumpy we were about it. I'm sure we would have wanted your, you at that point, 2017 was your like, well, we should have your watershed grumpy. moment. Yeah. We should have been grumpy if like we were looking at the, the, um, the larger monsoon area, right? Because, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe it was, well, you should call up Rainlog and see if it like, was it just a, an airport a signature or? It's very possible it was, you know, just a very isolated at the airport sort of thing. Because I'm too. looking at the map and there is, there is not a lot of places, admittedly, this is prism data that smooths the expression of, of, of rainfall, but there's not a lot of places that have uh, above average rain. And I will say this. I, I So I looked at some of the other data that that you've crunched. You sort of monitor uh, a, a number, like more than 100 stations uh, around the Southwest. Out of 104, only 10 of them had above average rainfall. And they were all in the Northwestern <laughs> area, which we talked about, which is from, from Hillary. So, I mean, that gives people a, an idea of just how spatially the, the extent of the dry conditions across the Southwest. So only 10 of 104 stations actually had a uh, above average rainfall. Yeah, it was interesting. I was looking at that too. And so, yeah, in the, in the Southwest, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Tacna had the highest, had the largest precipitation anomaly. Do you, do you, have you been to Tacna? No, but that's Northwest, no. right? No, it's, it's on the way to Yuma. And so it's a, it's, I, I've actually kind of looked for the co-op station. Oh, there it is. It's got, yeah. Yeah. It's got a gas, it's got a gas station and, and like a garage to fix your car and like some houses there. I think it's a little farm town, but yeah, it's, it's, it's low desert and it's not monsoon country. And so they've got, they got 2.72 inches uh, in total um, this season. And that's 1.46 inches above average, you know, so that's, that's quite substantial <laughs> anomaly there. And now, you know, and then the second on the, this analysis was Phantom Ranch. So down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon got 4.79 inches and that's 1.33 inches above average. But yeah, it, the rest of the region was pretty miserable. That was the seventh wettest on record. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> interesting? Yeah. For them, the monsoon was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that the monsoon is not always welcome in the, the low desert agriculture, too, because it it kind of messes up with the farming. You know, like if it gets too wet and it, it can create problems with getting in the field and problems with the vegetables and problems with pests even. So it's 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 an interesting when it gets inverted like this and it gets wetter in the western part of the state rather than the rest. It, it's not always not always welcome. Um, all right. So the East Pacific, um, the forecast was for increased chances of above average activity averages you know 15 named storms eight hurricanes four major hurricanes so uh, you know the forecasts were for sort of above frequency of named and then minor and major major hurricanes the season extends to end of november but you know very few, very few storms, particularly hurricanes, actually hurricanes on average don't form in after October. And so far, let's see, so far we've experienced 12 named storms, so below average with that metric, but um, seven hurricanes, which is just one below the average and five major hurricanes, which is one above the average. So sort of a mixed bag in terms of uh, forecasts, like less than the, the total number forecasted, but uh, right around the, in, in terms of hurricane strength, right, right around those those numbers. Um, yeah, and if you look at the hurricanes, on average, the last one forms around the last week in October. Um, so there's still a chance for um, hurricane activity. Major hurricanes, the last one uh, on average forms, again, sort of the last week of uh of October. So we're sort of right around average. Now, uh, you know, we talked about Hillary last time and, and uh, also on this, this pod, but Mike um, did more or less the East Pacific activity help us or, or not this year? What would you say? I think it helped us for sure. I mean, the, if Hillary hadn't gotten on the books, we wouldn't have seen the anomaly, like the above average precip on the western part of the state. There, there wasn't a monsoon signature, you know, like 
the way the western part of the state gets wet during a monsoon is, I think there's two mechanisms, right? The first is in a real strong um, monsoon pattern where there's broad easterly flow and there's real good deep moisture in the in the low deserts from a Gulf surge, is the storms can form uh, up on the in Arizona and the higher elevations, and then they will start to move into the towards the west, and then they'll pick up speed and start to turn into large mesoscale convective complexes, and then they can hammer the low deserts. We, you know, we, I don't know if we had a single large-scale event like that this entire summer. The other way is to get a, a re recurving tropical storm. That's that's how that moisture um, made its way up here. That, you know, Hillary did spark some thunderstorm activity in and around Tucson. It didn't quite reach as far to the southeast part of the state. Did help the southwest part of Arizona. Um, certainly did support precip in the western part of Arizona. And it, it didn't do anything for New Mexico as well. So, right, you know, so like that, that was an important part. And then Tropical Storm Herald, which was not a specific tropical storm activity, was it got, got us on the books as well in, in August. So it's sort of, I, I tend to think of the the boost from tropical storms coming in September, but it that didn't happen. It came, it sort of came in, in uh, August. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, it often doesn't, come in August because the ridge pattern would guide all of the storms off to the west. And right. so if right, and so if it's in a, if it's weak and you're in kind of a transition pattern, it can recurve them. And that's kind of where we were all summer long. Right. And that that's right. So as the the ridge sort of sinks south and the and the hurricanes themselves are sort of moving northward, they they at some point move into westerlies. And yeah. then they sort they sort of move back east toward Arizona and, and and New Mexico across across California. You know that Hillary, it's worth repeating again. Uh, we talked about this last time, but like the 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 pattern that was really interesting that set up. You had this like low pressure system off the coast of uh, California, and then you had a high pressure system, sort of central U.S. Right, and the high pressure system was was moving, the, the the airflow was clockwise and the low pressure was moving uh, counterclockwise. And it created that funnel that um, helped move the the tropical storm, the, the hurricane actually, uh, it, it actually hit, it hit Southern California as a category one, was it? Yeah. It reached yep. category four strength. And I think by the time it hit California, it was a category, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a category one. Yeah, I Which think it was an actual like 30, 40 years. Yeah, yep, yep. And I think um right. Uh I think we went over in the last podcast. The the actual yeah, it it was a it was a rare event, right? I mean, it was not extra tropical, meaning that it had fallen out of tropical storm status. It was actually still uh in that status as it reached that far north. And it yeah, there was a that one I remember it was a weird blocking event with a cutoff low. And so it was an unusual pattern you wouldn't normally see in August that set that up. Well, that's right? the point so I again, was, that's yeah. the point I was trying to make. And that's why we see yeah. when we think of tropical storm influence on, you know, the September or the monsoon rainfall, we think of September just because the the movement of the of, of the storms can get entrained as they move north and in, into the westerlies and then and then uh waft uh waft toward the southwest, which uh, but but that didn't that has not happened yet. Probably won't happen. Yeah. So it's I'm I'm looking at the the GFS model, the NOAA GFS model right now is just kind of peeking at it for next week. And so it the operational run of the model spins up a little hurricane right off the southern tip of Baja and runs it up the west coast, and then it kind of it kind of uh, falls apart off of the spur. Um, so. Yeah, it's like you said, it's still hurricane season in the East Pacific, but, you know, does it matter for the Southwest? Probably not at this point. Not for um, the monsoon. But, but it could. The monsoon is over, right? I mean, <laughs> officially, technically, but could it be a player in any October precipitation? Absolutely. It's happened in the past. Um, climatologically, probably unlikely. Well, right. And we can get to this in a minute, but looking at the models going going forward, it, there is an expression of drier, drier than average conditions for the next couple of months. So we'll, we'll get to that. But let me 
Let me just put a bow on the monsoon by giving a shout out to all of our monsoon fantasy forecast players. Uh, another, you know, our third season, another great year. Hopefully we'll, we'll run it back again next year and uh, may, maybe have some, some, some updates and that sort of thing. But yeah, just a, a shout out to um, I'm going to read their usernames because I don't actually know their, their, their real names, but the winner was Amunez. He finished first or she finished first boosted by uh, a really strong July and he limped in with just a few points in September, but it was enough to to hold off peak demand um, who um, I'm recognizing his email. And for the second year in a row, he, I think he came in second. So kudos to uh, peak demand. Let me, let me just make sure I'm getting that. Hold on one second. Uh, peak demand management. I couldn't see his full name. Uh, and then third place, Baby Rhino 18 um, had a stellar September. Oh, yeah. Look at the points on that. Wow. Really bad July. So the opposite of, of the first place finisher. You know, you either, you it seems like you either did well, you either bet on completely dry conditions and did well in September or, you know, went the opposite way, which I did. I only scored two points in September. I mean, I, I scored two points in, in, in August and only four in July, too, so. <laughs> so Zach, what was your place? What place? Two hundred and seventy-five. I made some rally in uh, September. I got three points in September and made it to two eighty-nine. Yeah, I beat you. That's so you I'm still talking. beat me. But I'm oh, I'm so glad it was still. I thought I was like hundreds of places behind you, but 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 not not great. Yeah, <laughs> not great so overall. I don't know. I got to come up with a with a different strategy. I should have, and I think I was below median. I just wasn't like as dry as it ultimately was, but I, I that's what I did too. Stuff. Yeah. I needed to floor the thing to, to actually, you know, get the points on it. Okay. So thanks to everybody for playing and uh, congrats to uh, the winners. Uh, they receive a nice Amazon gift card, 400, $300, $200 respectively. So don't spend it all mm. in one place and in, mm. enjoy. And hopefully we'll run it back again next year. And Mike, I think you do owe me uh, uh, an adult beverage for for coming behind you. I do, I do. I think, yep. We we will I'll take it. Yes. Well, we owe each other so many beers that we should probably uh, get an Uber right now or something. <laughs> find find time to actually drink them. Okay, exactly. <laughs> That's probably more. So let's just do really quickly looking forward. Um, we are now moving into when the. El Nino conditions that have been brewing for a while and, you know, look like uh, they'll emerge and evolve into, you know, percentage uh, or forecast now are calling for, you know, greater than a 50% chance that this El Nino will be a strong El Nino. Uh, and certainly almost 100% chance that it'll be a, a, a stronger than a moderate uh, or moderate or stronger. So, you know, we're, we're looking for, we're expecting, um, I think, some expression of El Nino on our on our winter weather that tends to manifest more in sort of the January, February, March period. Um, and El Nino tips the odds toward changes the jet stream pattern, uh, tips the odds toward wetter conditions uh, here in the in, in the southwest and drier conditions in the Pacific Northwest. You know, there is a lot of nuance to that. Um, it's not a slam dunk. There's quite a bit of variability. Turns out it matters a little bit where the you know focal point of the convection is in the tropical Pacific Ocean, whether or not it's all the way to the east or slightly uh, not quite as far east, um, and uh, and that can have an influence. So, Mike, what um, what do you want to say about El Nino? You think it's going to be a uh, it's going to ultimately evolve to a, a strong event, look like a ninety seven uh, event, or will it look more? Uh, similar to uh, the, the moderate events. What was it? What was the last moderate event? Do you know offhand, like 2009 was it? Yeah, I think 2009. 15? Uh, no, 2015, 2016 was the Godzilla, Piper, Mega, Super Duper event. That's right. And so, that, right. so that one was strong. <clears throat> the last, and that one had that weird pattern that it didn't quite manifest canonically, you know, meaning that it didn't quite have the same pattern that we were, we would expect with a strong event like a 97, 98. So pattern in terms of the precip around the, the West. Yeah. Or... Kind of where, where the, where the, um, the, where the sea service temperature anomalies were across the Pacific 
you know, and as you were talking about earlier, the where those anomalies occur um, can have an can have an implication on and how it messes with the jet stream in the northern hemisphere. So right now it it looks like a a pretty strong East Pacific event, meaning most of the warming is off the coast of South America. And um, that would be more like a 97, 98 event. The problem is that, uh, and I think that this is kind of the fine ointment with, and why forecasters are are hedging a little bit and are quite a bit concerned of how this is gonna, how this is gonna play out is that it's warm, the water is warm everywhere. Yeah. And so what drives El Nino is actually the difference in temperatures across the Pacific Ocean. And so even though they're really warm and strong in the East Pacific, if they're warm in the West Pacific too, it could actually mute the response and mess with the teleconnection, um, make it weaker or change it in a way that we don't quite understand. So it kind of calls for I, a different yeah. metric, a gradient metric. Yeah, I know, right? And, and they, like the SOI, the Southern Oscillation Index is a is a gradient metric. That's an and, atmospheric metric, yeah. Yeah, so it's atmospheric pressure differentials. And it, it's been quite strong, you know, so it, it's indicating a good, strong atmospheric response. But I don't know, man, like this is going to be one of those El Ninos where it won't quite look like any of the other ones. And it'll kind of, I think it's going to throw throw our, our forecasting for a loop again. So I think it, if we're looking for any guidance, I think that it could look like, either 97, 98 or 2009, 2010. 2009, 2010 was really quite interesting uh, because remember it was, a, it was a weak monsoon, dry monsoon followed by a, a pretty dry fall. And then we had some really strong uh, activity in December and January, got a lot of rain and snow and then it just kind of stopped. And then that was it. And then there were fires in the spring. So that was one thing. 97, 98 was very, very wet for the Southwest and had some of the heaviest rain in some locations and seen in quite a long time. So I don't know. I think I, I think it'd be really, really unusual if it was a dry winter, but I just don't know how wet it's actually going to get and where. Yeah, and I, it is going to be interesting to pay attention given like what you said, the the, the widespread above average sea surface temperatures. And it's kind of a test case, you know? I mean, there hasn't been many, I I don't believe there has been many analogs of the, how widespread the the ocean temperatures, sea surface temperatures are. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that that plays out. And just looking at the the models, so I'm looking at the North American multi-model ensemble, you know, looking at the, the next three months, so the October, November, December season, looks like there's a, a, a slight chance of um, drier conditions here in the, in the Southwest. But if you move forward, um, so going out to, you know, more of the, going out to the sort of December, January, and February period, then at the models are picking up on more of that wet, classic El Nino pattern across the southern parts of really a, across the southern tier of the U.S. and also a drier expression in, in the Pacific Northwest. So so maybe it's like and and also that's a similar the models are picking up that at uh, January, February and, and, and March season as, as well. So, you know, if you're if you're looking at these models, there's some favor to the next couple months being drier than we might otherwise expect. And then the El Nino forces playing more of a role in sort of shifting the odds toward uh, wetter conditions here, here in the Southwest. But those models are probably not able to really understand the how the sea surface temperature gradients are might affect things. I would imagine, or yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. It I don't know. I mean, they, like these things are a little sh- bit of a black box, at least in terms. Yeah. Of my understanding. They should. I mean, like they should, because they're forced by, I mean, that, that's the, the dominant signal. I think that those models pick up on are the, are the anomalies. So, I mean, that, yeah, again, yeah, it could be that they're not, they are dynamic models. So you would, they're think not that, subtle. Like, yeah, maybe those, maybe that, that temperature differential is subtle enough that it, it causes an over response or an under response. Yeah. It also just kind of points to the ENSO based forecasting is, 
isn't always as bulletproof as we we would like it to be. Well, there is variability in those. Um, yeah. In those, particularly at longer lead times. So as you very much so, yeah. The next three months or the next month uh, is often um, obviously it's it's more uh, precise, if you will, more accurate than um, looking out like to uh, February, March, April, or January, February, March, for example. Okay. Yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, any final parting shots, Mike? Say goodbye to the monsoon. Do you want to write it a sort of a love missive or anything? Yeah, I think, you know, you and I had Chat GPT write some really good monsoon songs. So we'll have to we'll have to regale people with those at some point. They were they were they were pretty good. They were good. <laughs> They were good. Uh, I couldn't have come up with them myself. So no, I couldn't either. I w- I was skeptical that it could do a good job, and so I mean, I guess the robots are winning because these were these were pretty good songs. Yeah, I told it to uh, write a, a a monsoon poem in in the with the lyrics of Bob Dylan, uh, written from uh, an existentialist perspective. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Well, I, I think I yeah, I think I had a country western um, sad monsoon. Uh, ballad and it, it it I could just hear it in my head now I think it's dang I, I we should read one of the, we should have read one yeah. of those I don't know how to <laughs> the the thing that we have to remember though Zach is that we are um, gearing up for a, a mailbag um, episode in December and so we would love we're going to try this out we haven't done this ever is to email us some questions and we'll go through those questions in our December podcast and so fantastic idea I love the idea that's, yeah, that's this is from this is Stacy's. Yeah, our producer Stacy's idea. Um, I think it's a great idea, and she asked us to send it to a Gmail uh, account, a Gmail, <laughs> which Gmail. is going to be in the going to be in the show notes. But it is also u a clemas u a c l i m a s at gmail.com. So email those questions. Can't promise we'll know the answer, but you know, when Are there do we any ever questions know the off limits? Are we putting any guardrails? I think philosophical existential ones are probably like I'll meaning take, of life ones. I'll take yeah. those. I'll take those. I know you. Oh, I would. I would. There's no I right would, or wrong I, answer for those. That's right. I guess you're right. I guess. Um, yeah, we should. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just send us meaning of life questions. Like, <laughs> all right. No weather all and right, climate right. of the Southwest. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. It was good to experience the monsoon with you again this year. Looking forward to the the, the next season. And of course, um, everything in between. So uh, thanks right. to everybody. Looking for... forward to uh, 2024, Zach. That's the battle 2024. cry. Yep. Early prediction. Give it to me. Uh, average. Average. So boring. I know. <laughs> all right. I'm going big. It's wet. 20, I, I, 2022 all over again. All right. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Cheers.